1: Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision.
0: I think we can call this today a deep dive into the meaning of mercy. What is mercy and what do we glean from the Bible about mercy? As Christians, we might identify that the whole world desperately needs mercy right now. So it might be refreshing to understand that mercy was central to the life, to the ministry and to the message of Jesus. So we're going to be asking how biblical mercy is so radically disruptive and transformative. Our special guest today... Matthew C. Clarke and Annabella Rossini-Clark have written a book called Disrupting Mercy, The Gift of Extreme Kindness Motivated by Compassion. Matthew is Principal Researcher with the Freedom Keys Research Project focusing on prevention of human trafficking. And Annabella Rossini-Clark is founder of Turning Teardrops into Joy. And let me just say, right at the outset, Disrupting Mercy is shortlisted for this year's Australian Christian Book of the Year awards. It'll be announced on the 31st of August, the winner in Melbourne. And so uh, to you, especially Bella, welcome to you. Ah oh, thank you. <laughs> and Matthew much.
2: Matthew, welcome to you too. Yeah, thanks, Neil, thanks for having us on. pleased to be here and um, blessings on all of your listeners as well today.
0: And just my congratulations on the shortlisting. Uh, If you win, it'll be wonderful. If you don't win, you've still had this wonderful accolade. Just being shortlisted for the Australian Christian Book of the Year, I think in itself is a really wonderful thing. So congratulations to the both of you on your book. Let me come to the title. Just start with the title, Disrupting Mercy. Uh, Matthew, if I come to you first, um, the title of the book, Disrupting Mercy, give us your insight here into what all this means.
2: Yes, we, as you can guess, we toyed with a variety of uh, names for the book titles and we canvassed our friends and tried various things. Uh, and the idea of disrupting mercy is a little bit ambiguous, isn't it? Um, is it that uh, mercy is a disrupting thing or is that the book is trying to disrupt mercy? And uh, that ambiguity was deliberate. We, we want to do a bit of both. We want to say that common understandings of mercy, which we'll get to in a while, I'm sure, are uh, too weak and uh, need to be disrupted to make space for a, a more radical form of mercy that we think is more biblical and shown in the life of Jesus, which itself is, is uh, significantly transformative and disrupting. We're going to be talking about
0: mercy, but it's interesting for listeners that there's a context here. And uh, Matthew and Annabella are personally involved uh, with both the victims and perpetrators of human trafficking and painfully aware of the complexities and contradictions involved in practicing disrupting mercy in the pursuit of justice. And so this is where I guess we're going to be in the deep end when we talk about mercy today. But let me just ask you, Bella, around the organization that you are both working in and the people that you're working with, both victims and perpetrators of, of human trafficking, give us your insight here into what you do in ministry.
3: Oh well, I guess for us we see um, everything we do actually in our life as part of our ministry. So we've walked through um, building small backstreet communities, raising a small business that could fund our research project, and we feel that that's just as important as the the work in that um, in that other human trafficking space. So we've spent a lot of time building a bedrock of community where we can discuss and challenge each other about what, um, what is missing in that space that we could dive into and do our research in. So for us, Turning Teardrops into Joy, which is a sustainable, small sustainable social enterprise, it has um, sort of like an umbrella, I guess, that has a few different projects under it. But to begin with, it is a little coffee cart business that sells coffee and has conversations so for me that's where my presence and my energy has been and the interesting thing um, we play around with the edges of mercy in that environment it is really interesting as you mix with people a lot of people on a daily basis they would come into our a small community back you know backstreet garden where there's a coffee cart and we would talk about life relationships and it's interesting how the I see the importance of feeding the idea of mercy in your everyday life. It's the drops of mercy that have been really strategic and important because we're going to then dive into those into that network of, of mercy to be able to then bring out this much deeper need of mercy in a much more different way difficult space. So that's where I sit in this um the beginnings of this idea of mercy.
0: Let's get into some of the deeper water here and you've done some significant uh, research around this word Matthew and um, challenging some of the simplistic ideas that we have about what Mm. mercy is so Matthew give us your insight here if we're looking for you know some sort of a definition to hold on to and uh, there might be some simple definitions and then there might be some different layers Mm. and I know this is your area so give us your insight here (laughs) Uh, challenge our simplistic ideas
2: yeah well I think a lot of us are driven by the the By two key pictures. One is the picture that Bill talked about of uh, uh, someone beaten on the battlefield with the victor's uh, foot on his throat. Uh, And the person lying down there cries out for mercy. They've been beaten, they're about to die, and they ask, please don't kill me, just just have mercy on me. And the other image, I think, that drives a lot of our understanding of mercy is uh, the courtroom, where someone has been found guilty of some crime and as a last-minute effort, they throw themselves on the mercy of the court and, in effect, saying, look to the judge, you are right in, in convicting me, but please don't give me the punishment that, that I perhaps deserve. Now, those two images, I think, um, are, are common and drive how we in this in our Western English world think about mercy, but I'm not sure that they're the strongest images that come across in the Bible. And I'm not sure that those two images have much value in really horrendous contexts like human trafficking. What does mercy mean to a victim of human trafficking? And in a more complex question, what does mercy look like to a perpetrator of human trafficking? So I want to try to get past those um, those common stereotypes, if you like. Uh, I tend to think the simple definition of mercy is that mercy is compassion in action. And
0: let's just uh, Uh, dwell here for a moment, and and there's plenty more to to say there, I know, with various layers. But uh, in some sense, when we think of the human trafficking situation, where you've got those who are victims of human trafficking and those who are the perpetrators of human trafficking, the natural human inclination is to say, uh, I'm on the side of the goodies who are the victims, and we want to be compassionate, and merciful and we want to be helpful to them but those ones on the other side we're thinking they're the baddies um how do I be merciful and compassionate to the baddies as well um let me I'm not sure which one of you wants to respond here but uh, but if I come to if I come to uh, Bella Bella what are your thoughts here and we'll come back to to Matthew but you know, what we're talking about here is mercifulness to the baddies and as a yeah. Christian foundation concept that might shake the way we think about mercy. Yeah,
3: for sure. And um, and you will note as you listen to Matt and I, Matt gives you the more scholarly, you know, intellectual, you know, <laughs> answer. And I'll give you the flowery experiential one. But but mine still is steeped in some strong theological understanding Um as well um oh look i think the first thing that happened many many years ago um i was at a i think matt and i were both actually at a, a small conference um with a with a rescue organization and i remember sitting there and it was amazing to see the stories of how some of these girls had been rescued and um And then towards the end, there was this cheer and clap because finally, you know, we got one of the baddies in jail and everyone literally stood up and clapped. And I found myself, I couldn't stand up. There was part of me that thought, you know, (laughs) I know my own shadow side. I know that there are often stories behind people's actions that we don't understand. And it was a response to that, I think, really shook me and thought, hmm, yes, the girls need rescuing, but maybe the person, and you'll notice I say person who perpetrates, I try to give a face to a monster, I try to demonsterize that that person will have a story. You know, I'm sure when that person was born and was a small child, they didn't decide, I am going to go and destroy someone's life. Things have happened in their life that builds um, a vulnerability perhaps um, and we'll talk about that in a little while, to become someone who goes down that road of very poor decisions, those decisions that destroy others but actually destroys themselves because we're not built to destroy others. So there is a consequence of that. So for that, in that moment, I saw the person who was the perpetrator, the person who we, yay, yeah, we finally got that one in jail. My goodness, they are a victim as well. What are we doing about rescuing the one? Ah, oh, yeah. And that was the beginnings of me going down this road, going, if we want to rescue those other people in the future, if we change the life of that one person who has made poor decision, has become a perpetrator, we not only rescue the the future victims of that person who's a perpetrator, but we actually rescue that one. And I kept seeing that image of the um the parable of the Good Shepherd going out and finding the lost, going towards the lost, and not not necessarily reprimanding you silly sheep, you got you know, you'd made wrong decisions and went off, actually carried that sheep home and helped integrate that sheep back into the fold. So that's probably the um the mandate that I carry in my heart that has helped me walk in that space. And we only walk in a theoretical um, space to this at this stage because we are trying to come up with what else could we be doing in this space that could help end modern slavery. I hope that's
0: answered your question. <laughs> it does, and and coming back to Matthew uh, for that scholarly side here because uh, the, the, the thought that we might find ourselves on the side of a baddie but maybe it's not the baddie taking sides it might be on the sides of the victims and the perpetrator but uh, for most of us who think that the perpetrator does not deserve mercy does not deserve my attention uh, this is you know is there some historic precedence here and um, i mean uh, jesus in his ministry how do we how do we reflect on mercifulness to the baddie.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's a bunch of stories uh, in the Bible, including the life of Jesus. The one that inspired us, and it features in the early part of the book, is about Zacchaeus. So Jesus was walking through Jericho, and there was a an outcast Jew within that that uh, town who was a tax collector. And uh, he was outcast because he was a tax collector. He, he was... Um, uh, uh, betraying his people by collecting taxes on behalf of the, the Romans. And uh, Jesus walks into that town. Zacchaeus climbs a tree because he's apparently a short guy. And then the, the crowd's too, too um, dense for him to, to get a, a line of sight on Jesus. But Jesus notices him. And in contrast to the crowd that was shutting that man in their community context, Jesus called Zacchaeus down from the tree and said, I want to go and have a meal with you. So Jesus moves towards the exploiter, to the perpetrator. And uh, Zacchaeus had some radical transformation. We don't know the, the actual content of, of their, their talk together, but it radically changed Zacchaeus. And I think it's it's a prime example of the transformative effect of mercy. Jesus sided with the perpetrator and said, you also are a son of Abraham. And Zacchaeus receives that as an act of mercy that was completely um, unexpected and changes his life, gives his money away to the poor and pays back people who who he's wronged. Um, And as Bella said, by rescuing the perpetrator, Jesus has also rescued all his future victims. It's outstanding. Uh, And so if you transfer... We are in the deep end and uh, there might be
0: listeners who'd like to contribute to our conversation today and maybe you've never thought of the mercy of God uh, being used through his hands and feet as having mercy to the baddies as well as the goodies. Uh, It just reminds me just how significant it is because there's an awful lot of Christian testimonies that you'll hear of people who were pretty bad people. And uh, they Good. have been recipients of the mercy of God, uh, that must have come, in some sense, by someone who relayed to them a message of mercy, and that is in itself a hand reached out in merciful love to the baddie. So uh, we're talking through these things, and I want to just invite listeners to join in our conversation today. So opening our talkback line on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Our two very special guests, Matthew C. Clarke and Annabella rossini Clark. they've written a book called Disrupting Mercy, the gift of extreme kindness motivated by compassion. Hey, let me just, <laughs> uh, before we move on too far from here, uh, the image that came to mind as you're sharing about the care that you have for the perpetrator, uh, these sorts of things do come to light, but we don't always refer to them when we're talking about things like prison ministry and you've got chaplains that will Mm -hmm. go into a prison. And, you know, the ones that are in there, let's just be, you know, broad brushstroke and say, yes, there's baddies in prison because they've committed crimes and they've been... Uh, they've been uh, you know uh, committed to a sentence. Uh, Chaplaincy is a little bit like this too and so it's not necessarily unusual to know that Christian leaders and Christian ministers actually do express some mercy to baddies. Uh, Matthew what are your thoughts here as you just
2: sort of deepen that definition? Yeah yeah look for sure Uh, Jesus in the early part of his ministry said that part of what he came to do was to release the prisoners. (laughs) Now what do you mean by that? And, but it does call us to be engaged with prisoners in a way that uh, releases them from whatever it is, whatever shackles are, mm. are putting them in bondage. Um, Jesus came, said, to, came, said that he came to save the sinners, not the righteous. So Jesus' ministry was toward the bad guys, which actually includes all of us. Uh, and then, of course, the other thing that uh, you pick up from the life and the teaching of Jesus is that the greatest love is shown to your enemies. Uh, and it's not uh, an act of mercy to be kind to someone who's who's nice back to you, but precisely to show some surprising kindness to people who nobody would expect because they don't seem to deserve it. That's where mercy lies. You know, there'll be lots of Old Testament
0: illustrations uh, of the battles that the children of Israel fought uh, in taking the promised land, uh, that might show there were the people of God who killed their enemies. Uh, does something change with Jesus in the mix? You know, with the incarnated Son of God who appears. What changes in here? I'll stay with you on Ma- Matthew on this on this thought.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, I think there are Old Testament passages that um, that point towards mercy as well so it's it's not a complete shift from one to the other but there is something new that Jesus brings into the picture and that is a more specific revelation of the character of God so a God Jesus says to us that we should be merciful as God is merciful and so the reason why we should turn our cheek when someone hits us is that that's what God does and Jesus' life is a demonstration of that. People tried to uh, uh, assert violence against Jesus, and Jesus soaked up that violence, allowed it, and then dispelled the power of it through his his death and resurrection. And so the the event of the incarnation shows us something fundamental about the character of God, that God does not strike back at those who strike at God, that God is merciful uh, even to God's enemies.
0: We are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Trish, who is in South Australia. Hey, Trish, welcome along. Hello.
1: I've had a strong opinion about um, people, men who commit domestic violence... And it is so. You know, they always have pity for the woman, but I I always feel sorry for the man because I think he must be a very tormented soul. And I don't know what you what you feel about that, but Please. I just think it, we should we should have some. I, there was a, you know there were t- I heard on the radio, radio TV that uh, they were thinking of outlawing um, domestic violence and decreasing it by a certain year. Well, you can't make a law and say you shall not because it's the heart that needs to change, not the, not the. I don't know, it it, it worries me anyway, our attitude.
0: Trish, you have raised something very, very important here and uh, I want to come to Bella uh, for a response here. Um, Trish's comments. Bella, what are your thoughts?
3: Oh, Trish, I love your heart. Um, my heart stands very close to yours there. I would probably have exactly the same reaction um i and please note that i think um domestic violence needs to really be addressed for sure um but i totally agree that that we still need to look at the person who is doing the harm what's gone on again what's gone on in their life why are they acting out like that what is what is severely broken for them what's been modeled to them in the past um all those sorts of things and we were just being in indonesia recently at an anti-trafficking conference and we talked a little bit around a table um the the week after we went to one of the projects and we were talking about that that very thing um in the culture there when a man nearly is allowed to beat his wife um you, we need need to ask that question what is going on for that man and as we explored that and asked those questions in this this small group of people they could see that that for some of those men in that area they they're not allowed to talk about number one um about their true feelings they're certainly not allowed to cry and there's lots and lots of trauma for a lot of those men but then there's such shame for them if they They come out and talk about what's really going on for them and they've never really learned to understand their own frustrations and anger so they don't really know how to manage it there's so much brokenness at so many different levels so yes he should not be beating his wife absolutely but let's also set up spaces where these men can learn to talk to each other and understand each other so um, Trish Absolutely, I think we need to be looking in those preventative spaces. And one of the most heartening things I've seen is in, in our Australian um, campaign for advertising about bringing up respect. I think is one of the most fantastic responses to looking at how can we reduce or end domestic violence. Well, well let's. How do we bring up our kids, particularly our boys? Brings back the, um, I guess, that parents communities, schools, we all need to be involved in encouraging, bringing up um, children who respect others because they've actually learned to respect themselves. So that's, I think, a really good area of a preventative um, action towards um, domestic violence that actually has to work at the perpetrator side.
0: Trish, thank you so much for your insight today. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen 316 316 to join in our conversation as we're talking about mercy, even extreme mercy here. Let's take another call ahead of the news. Lester is in Dolby in Queensland. Hi, Lester. Welcome. Um, yes. Um, thank, um, nice to talk to you. Um
1: I think I think she's right about um, um, about the fact that um, um, the, the perpetrators um, they have problems too, you know, and I think they're acting out of their own t- confusion and and uh, need. Um, I mean, like um, they have urges that the, that they can't control and they don't know how to control them and so they um, and so they abuse other people because they don't know what to do with it.
0: Lester, you're making a good point here. I'll come to Matthew. Uh, thoughts here for
2: Lester, Matthew? Yeah, yeah, I thoroughly agree there, Lester, it's a It's a good point that people in those situations where they're hurting others are, are often confused and in need themselves. I want to make the point that in thinking about mercy in this way we're not going soft on the wrongdoer uh, we certainly have to have mercy for those who are being hurt that that's first and foremost to to relieve the the abuse that's done against um, the victims uh, but um, in doing that, we don't just let the, the bad guy, so-called, off the hook. It's not that they can just get away with anything. They need to be held to account. And so it's not as though justice would have them have us punish them, but mercy allows them to get off scot-free. Sc- That's not the, the biblical picture of how justice and mercy um, yep. are positioned. Yep. Uh, more biblically, justice and mercy actually work together in harmony, towards a greater goal of what in um, the the, uh, Jewish language is Shalom. And Shalom is often just translated as peace, but it's a deeper concept than that. Shalom means where things are right, where things are whole and good and true, relationships are right, relationships with each other, relationships with God, our self-understanding and identity, our relationship with the created world around us. In a state of Shalom, things are whole and, and right. Everything being reconciled in Christ at the end of time is a the perfect state of shalom. And so justice and mercy both tend towards or work towards shalom in conjunction with each other, not in opposition with each other.
0: Lester in Dolby in Queensland, thank you so much for another great contribution, Lester. Well, let me just say, not just a little deeper, but we're a whole lot deeper into understanding what mercy means taking a deep dive into the meaning of mercy what is mercy what do we glean from the bible about mercy as christians we might identify that the whole world desperately needs mercy right now so it might be refreshing to understand that mercy was central to the life to the ministry and to the message of jesus we're asking about biblical mercy it's so radically disruptive and transformative, our two special guests, Matthew C. Clark and Annabella rossini Clark, they've written a book called Disrupting Mercy, the gift of extreme kindness motivated by compassion. And if you've been listening to our conversation up till now, you'll know that the mercy we're talking about is mercy towards the victim, but Really strangely and deeply and perhaps new insight for some, mercy from the heart of God also extends to the perpetrator. So 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Before we take some more calls and our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316, Matthew, let me come to you with an example that you talk about in your book. Uh, You call it an archetypal example of a man named Dirk Willems. Will you take up the story here because we're in the, the deeper end talking about mercy and this seems to me to be something that really switches the light on.
2: Yeah, yeah. Dirk Willems is a very inspiring uh, uh, man from the Anabaptist tradition around the time of the Reformation in the 16th century. During the Reformation, there was a group of people who thought that Luther and the other reformers weren't taking things far enough and they for instance didn't believe in infant baptism and they were pejoratively called the Anabaptists or the, uh, the re-baptizers and Dirk Willems was one of these Anabaptists and they were roundly persecuted by the Reformers and the, and the Catholics and uh, in 1569 he was in prison for his, his Anabaptist beliefs and he managed to escape but it was winter and outside the jail there was a lake uh, covered with ice and he ran across the ice, and he was safely on the other side. When one of the prison guards, uh, who'd seen that he was escaping, chased him across the frozen lake and broke through the ice and fell fell in. So Dirk Willem safe on the other side, but he turns around and sees a man drowning in the icy water, and his mercy—the mercy that he had developed from the from following the habit. Of being like Christ caused him to turn around go back across the ice pull the prison guard out um, to save him and they both reached safe land at which point the prison guard then arrested him and took him back to jail and a couple of months later he was burned at the stake so that I think is a a paradigmatic example of mercy it was an act of extreme kindness to someone who in no way deserved it and yet was deeply in need Willem saw his need and his compassion for the man forced caused him to rescue the man probably with the full knowledge that it would go badly for him <laughs> It is an
0: extreme example, isn't it, because when you rescue the one who will capture you and take you back and you'll be burned at the stake, uh, that is, you know, it's hard to swallow, actually. Uh, For listeners, 1-800-316-316, let's take some more calls. Jenny is in Maruya in New South Wales. Hi, Jenny. Welcome. Thank you, Neil. What are your thoughts, Jenny. Well, my thought, I wanted to make a comment on Trish's um,
1: subject. I'm so glad she brought it up. We do need to have compassion for the perpetrators in domestic violence. I was in a, um, a violent marriage for 17 years, so I was on the other side of that violence. But through all of that time, God taught me about mercy and understanding and forgiveness and showed me the suffering that my husband was going through that brought him to be such a perpetrator. And I'm so grateful for
0: that. Wonderful thought, Jenny. And let's come to yeah. Bella on this. Um, you know, your thoughts here for Jenny?
3: Oh, Jenny, yeah. Um, amazing. I mean, that takes it to the next stage, really, when you've actually chosen to stay. But what a wonderful day depth of insight as you say that you develop that's a gift that you have been given um, yes. to understand a really complex um situation i'd love you on our team jenny um because you know there's something about about understanding that like that is quite profound and i know that not everyone could maybe endure that, that but yes. for those that can i think this is what we're talking about disrupting mercy, the idea of we disrupt this idea that it doesn't have to be transactional, is that you, like your your husband, received a blessing that he may never know about the fact that no, you could understand. No longer married, it did
1: end up in a divorce, yeah.
3: but I have
1: yeah. no bitterness whatsoever towards him. Yeah, just mercy. Yeah,
3: you just—I mean—I have got shivers going down my spine now because that—that <laughs> is—that is really um a situation where the idea of mercy has been completely disrupted it's not about transaction it's not about all those things it's about understanding the other person and where they may have come from and um and i'm glad you're safe and i'm glad you've been able to get out
0: jenny while we've got you on the phone here just want to come to matthew on this because interesting isn't it what does the victim learn Uh, because oftentimes I know listeners will say we talk about forgiveness, you know, forgive much. You've been Mm. forgiven, you're to forgive. Well, there's a practical element that goes on from that forgiveness, and perhaps that is the display of mercy that comes from our own heart. Matthew, your thoughts here as as you're just reflecting on what Jenny's sharing?
2: Yeah, yeah. um, Look, the first thing I'd like to say, if there's any listeners who are in a situation where they're being abused by their husband, the most important thing is to be safe yeah. and to do something to protect yourself. Um, we should never be telling people, oh, you've just got to understand and and, and uh, be kind and put up with it. That's, that's not the message. To be merciful mm-hmm. to the perpetrator n- requires them to be called to account, because there can mm-hmm. be no real transformation unless they realize that what they've done is... Uh, really damaging and hurtful and unnecessary. So, yeah, so mercy doesn't just let people off the hook. Um, Make sure you're safe. Uh, Think about, I I love your attitude, uh, Jenny, that um, even though you're divorced now, you don't hold the uh, things, uh, grudge against him. And, And that's a good position to be in because then you're not weighed down by the burden of unforgiveness either. And he's also released, hopefully, to rethink and to change his life having understood the consequences of what he's done.
0: Jenny in Maruya, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Let's continue to take some calls. Nigel is in South Australia. Hi, Nigel. Hi, mate. What are your thoughts, Nigel? I just have a
1: question. Um, I was reading um, about um, human trafficking and uh, being arrested, and used for body organs in China the other day and this doctor rendered a testimony of how he was forced to um assist these night patrols and these doctors and the army guys would just bring in one of these um, dissidents in China and throw them in the throw them in the van and remove his organs while he was alive and he said the doctor saw who was holding him down um said the guy was definitely alive because his his eyes were, his eyelids were moving and he was looking straight at him and it took him many years to get over it. The question is, how would you deal with somebody that could do that barbaric and abominable thing to another human being? How would you minister to the Mm. family, that son or daughter or auntie, that these have performed on them? How would you um, explain to them that you're going to show that show mercy that everybody is entitled to. But how would you yeah. minister to with
0: that? Let me come to Matthew here, because the imagery there, and apologies to some listeners, but this is mm. reality, isn't it? These things mm. do happen. Uh, Matthew, uh, that's an extreme mm. case here, and I imagine that, that there's going to be some sort of justice that is meted out by uh, civil authorities here. But uh, what are your thoughts for Nigel?
2: Yeah, yeah, horrendous situation and uh the whole area of human trafficking is a broad range of of really horrendous contexts and organ trafficking is is uh, closely associated they're not quite the same as human trafficking but it's it's part of the problem. And yeah, it's it it's almost unimaginable how someone can do that type of exploitation and abuse uh, um against another human being. Uh so, yeah, we, we cry out with God for, for justice. Um, and then the key question is, well, what does justice look like? How do we, how do we get to a point of justice? Uh, it's not just an eye for an eye. You, we can't just take the, the doctor's liver out and say, well, now it's equal. That, that doesn't uh, resolve anything. There's some sense of um, justice restoring shalom. That's, that's, that takes a lot more hard, hard work. So one part of mercy in that context would be what could have happened 20 years before that uh, changed the trajectory of both those people's lives to avoid the situation in the first place. But so I won't dwell on that too long because the, the event has happened and something has to be done about this huge um, violation of human dignity. And it may well be that the perpetrator um, is put in jail. Jail is a place that's partly for punishment. It's partly to protect society so that mm. the person can't continue doing what they're doing. But it's also a place for rehabilitation. And so part of the role of mercy would be to say, let's put the person in jail. And while they're there during that time, let's do some work with that person to help them understand what they did, to help them regain some empathy for their victims, to help bring about some repentance. So that by the time they get out, they don't just go back and do the same thing again. But they are transformed by the confrontation with the consequences of what they're doing. That, too, is mercy. Uh, Let me just throw something into the mix here. We've got Nigel
0: on the line from South Australia and he's given a really extreme example here. But, um, you know, just recently on this program we were talking about uh, some issues that were developing in the Philippines and a reflection back to Robert Duterte uh, who had a policy of uh, having his uh, police shoot drug dealers. Uh, Now, that's a dealing out of justice uh, from a dictatorial position is there a sense here, and I'll come to you on this, Matthew, uh, that the courts themselves, that there is justice, uh, that the appearance of a court, and we can even give some you know, biblical foundation for the fact that we have courts and advocates, that that actually mm. is. The fact that there is a justice system is in itself a merciful thing, because otherwise you may have dictators just uh, saying, we'll just take the law into our own hands and just shoot them dead. Any thoughts here around the, the value of a court?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. So uh, the court is uh, an important aspect of justice. It's not always most uh, not all courts end up giving just decisions because courts are about imposing a law, and laws aren't always just. There are unjust laws that sometimes we need to oppose, even in, in, in as Christians. Um, so so courts have an important place to play. They bring yeah. they bring order. And the reason for for laws and for that aspect of justice is that the order will enable everyone to flourish, that it creates a context in which people are safe. And that's part of God's intention for the world, that the, the world should be a place where everybody has the opportunity to flourish. And there are cases where courts can't do that and uh, mercy more properly has uh, an equal role when uh, um, when courts can't impose real justice. They can't restore shalom. And so mercy has an important role to play in conjunction with justice to do that restoration or that reconciliation. Uh, Paul says that we're ministers, we're ambassadors of reconciliation. So part of our task is to bring about the good, bring about right relationship, bring about reconciliation between people and God to bring things back to how they were originally intended to be. And that involves partly the courts, some things that happen outside courts, and also some things that happen systemically because uh, just putting someone in jail doesn't solve the, the, the underlying system that caused the problem. Why did the person find themselves in, a, in the role of, of being a, um, an abuser, a human trafficker, a drug trafficker? Um, what's the system that created the context for that? And we need to do some systemic change as well. Nigel in South Australia, thank you
0: so much for a good contribution. 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to make another contribution to our conversation. But let's come back to the title of your book. It's called Disrupting Mercy, The Gift of Extreme Kindness Motivated by Compassion. Uh, Just uh, take us into this gift of extreme kindness here and uh, for listeners today who are thinking what's in this that I would take away from a conversation about Mm. this because uh, you know a lot of people are not in the human trafficking space and uh, dealing with perpetrators and victims Uh, thoughts here about how extreme kindness might affect each of us Uh, back to you again on this Matthew and then I'll come to Bella
2: Mm. Uh, yeah yeah, so uh, we might have made it sound as though the book's all about human trafficking, which it isn't. We just use human trafficking because that's the research I've been doing, and it shows an extreme case where anything we say about mercy can be put to the test. Uh, we don't want to just say mercy doesn't have any effect in the in the most tricky cases. So human tra- trafficking is a good test case at the extreme end. Um, I said that that a simple definition of mercy would be compassion in action, and so. In this book, we follow the, the line of thinking that that mercy starts with compassion. We see someone in need and our hearts go out, out to them. And we have this compassionate response wishing that we could do something to help them in their need. And it's not really dependent on whether they're a good person or a bad person. It's dependent on what their need is. And So then once we've got compassion, then what do we do about it? It's not always clear how to express that compassion in a way that actually helps. We might do more harm than good if we're not careful by um, expressing our compassion naively. So our definition of mercy is that mercy is the gift of extreme kindness that's motivated by compassion. So it starts with compassion, but then it's a gift and it's something about extreme kindness. So let me say something about those, those two things. Firstly, mercy in the biblical narrative is freely given without any concern about whether it was deserved and without any incurred debt. It's a gift that is given regardless of, of um, what people have, have done because it's directed towards the need. It's a compassionate response to their need. It's not dependent on something people have done before. And also mercy doesn't require a repayment later. If we say, well, I'll do this for you, but you must give me something back later that's not mercy that's a transaction Uh, mercy is freely given without any future debt and then i've said mercy is extreme kindness mercy just isn't uh shaking someone's hand or giving them a couple of dollars uh it's not being kind to the people that are our friends and family it's something surprising mercy is something that you wouldn't expect it goes beyond what could morally be expected Um, And so uh, mercy is is, uh, beyond kindness. It's something more extreme and surprising. And that leads us into an area of thinking about mercy as actually scandalous. The mercy in the New Testament is so wild, so uncontrolled, a free gift to people who don't deserve it that nobody could expect. That's a scandalous idea.
0: A scandalous idea that we might throw ourselves on the mercy of God because we do not deserve his favor and his mercy and his salvation. Those sorts of things, sometimes we grapple with that spirituality, but there is also this flow-on effect, this practical side of how that mercy then is worked out in us. And I think this is where you are right in the middle of uh, some wonderful insight. Uh, Let me ask you what your program is because I think you're ready to hit the road and you'd like to actually visit with churches. Uh, You're based just on the north side of Sydney and, uh, and you'd like to connect with churches. This is a message that some churches will say, or some people who are part of various small groups or uh, whatever uh, you know, opportunity there might be, they might love to have the two of you come and bring a presentation. You're open to those sorts of things? Uh, is this something that you've got in a plan now from this time
2: forward, uh, Matthew? Uh, I'm going to throw that one to Bella if I Bella, can. Bella? Let's go, uh, Bella. She, she has this idea of coffee and conversations.
3: That's the barista in me, you see. <laughs> so we do actually have another little coffee cart that we can put on the back of our camper van and we can go touring round. we can pull up at churches or at people's groups, um, schools, interest groups, whatever, and start fleshing this, this thing out a little bit more because um, I think it's something that has to be talked about. We love talking about um, conversations around tables or over coffee where you start to get to the nitty-gritty of, this all sounds great out there or you know human trafficking is a huge thing or but what does it look like in my relationship with my family or my church life or my friends because as i said right at the beginning we've come full circle that's a good practice ground for us to actually move towards the person who has caused caused us offense and the first thing is choose not to be offended and that enables you to go forward and go I'm gonna get to know them why are they acting like that you know they're being really hurtful and you can say stop but I wonder why and sometimes you need to push into that space and open it up for dialogue and you can then really disrupt the situation and come to a better understanding and that's where I think the transformation can happen but we've got to learn to do it in the little places and so we love having conversations. We love having meals with people. So p- please come to our website, put your hand up and say, we'd love to have you guys come and share with us at our youth group or at our church or whatever, and we would love to facilitate that kind of discussion.
0: You know, the website is turningteardropsintojoy.com. Turning teardrops into joy.com. I'll give it in just a moment again, too. But just to top off our conversation here, Matthew, for that listener who is saying, Where do I start with all of this? Is there something that I can be even closing my eyes on my knees about? I know that there are victims and i know that there are perpetrators in my life in my community uh in the lives of my extended family and uh is there something here that i can call upon a merciful god uh, to intervene how would i pray what would be the the thing that i would do before god to actually get the next step happening as i implement these merciful practices in my own life how do you respond to that
2: yeah i think uh our task as followers of Jesus is to pray that we would become more like Jesus. So, to develop habits in our lives that reflect what we see in Jesus, because we know that what we see in Jesus reflects the character of God. So, let's model ourselves on the life of Jesus and pray that we can become more understanding, more loving more uh, merciful because we know our God is merciful. I think it's a matter of um, starting with ourselves, understanding our own need for mercy, and working around the people close to us so that we we build a a habit of showing mercy to people. So when a really horrendous thing happens, domestic violence, rape, the loss of, of someone important to us, we have already prepared our own character through habit to respond to that horrendous situation with the mercy of God as well.
0: Mm. Uh, wonderful insights today and a reminder to listeners that this conversation is going to be on a podcast a little later on this afternoon and uh, hopefully we'll get a a, a web uh, podcast onto YouTube uh, with this conversation as well. It's a, such a valuable conversation, but let me give that website once again... Turning TeardropsintoJoy.com. That's the way to connect with our two special guests today who have a coffee cart that they can put on as a trailer onto the back of their vehicle, and they are ready and willing and able to travel. And if you at all are thinking maybe they could be a guest at our church. Uh, at our youth groups, uh, this may be something very special. Our two guests, Matthew C. Clark and Annabella rossini Clark. Their book is called Disrupting Mercy, The Gift of Extreme Kindness Motivated by Compassion. It is one of those books shortlisted uh, for this year's Australian Christian Book of the Year. But to Matthew and to Bella, thank you so much for taking some time to share your heart with us today on 2020. Uh, Matthew, thank you. Thank
2: you, Neil. That's been wonderful. Thank you. And, Bella, thank you.
3: Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media.
1: To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.